I so in preparation of this, I like dug out my old uh, labor history textbooks and like skimmed them a little bit. I was like, all oh, right, some of these things are like coming back to me now. So I was like, because I was like, he's. I had this like lingering fear that you were going to ask me why Labor Day is in September and not on May. And why I was is like, Labor Day is <laughs> not in May, man. And I was like, I'm not going to have a real answer unless I like reread about this. But I could answer that question if you want because I read up on it. What is it? So there was. I don't know. <laughs> Basically, it was a way for um, the U.S. government was concerned about the labor movement because in its early stages, and some people would say even now, it's uh, full of socialists and communists. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so basically <laughs> they were really concerned about that in the late 1800s. And so there was this um, big like labor demonstration that turned into like a clash with the police in Chicago called the Haymarket Incident. And after that, when they tried to have May Day be like the Labor Day, um, President Cleveland signed a act or whatever saying that Labor Day would be in September instead to kind of separate the U.S. labor movement from the international labor movement because they were just banking on the fact that um, that they were hoping that like it wouldn't continue as like labor is in Europe because labor yeah. is taken more seriously in Europe than it is in the United yeah. States. And they don't want the, the connotations of communism and socialism and all that other stuff. To, yeah, and they didn't want even it to though feel we're like, a pretty socialist country as it is. Right. But they didn't want us to identify with the workers' movements that were being very successful in Europe. Yeah. So they made our Labor Day different, so we celebrated on a different day. Great. Yeah. Awesome. That's great. So I'm glad that I taught you some things, and I'm glad I was able to share my fact of the day. (laughs) (laughs) That'll probably start the episode. I like that. (laughs) That was good. Hello and welcome to the EduPunks Podcast. This is your host, Craig Bideman. I'm here once again with another conversation with an everyday educator and a daily disruptor. This week I'm chatting with one of my good friends and my work colleague, Ben McNamee. We work at UMass Boston together. So uh, we just got together in my office at the end of our work day and just had a cool, quick chat. It was great. It was awesome. It's always good. Seeing Ben, I see him almost every day at work. Uh, I help out his office in the College of Management a little bit by doing some talks for their students, which is a lot of fun and a really cool part of my day, uh, every day that I get to do that. Um, But today we chat about his route in higher education, how he got to where he is today, and the work he does, uh, advocating on behalf of uh, all of our colleagues at UMass Boston through our union uh, our professional union through the Massachusetts, Massachusetts Teachers Association, uh, as well as uh, really everything else that uh, got him into doing labor work. It's a really cool conversation that we get to have. Uh, again, we're in my office, so folks are walking by every now and again, and there's a little bit of background noise, but for the most part, it doesn't distract at all. So hope you enjoy that. Today we're going to have some music from the band Pendejo, which is a uh, project from 
Chris of the band uh, People Like You. Uh, it's his uh, kind of art punky uh, pr- uh, side project. He recently re- released a new album called Tio, which uh, relates uh, a whole bunch of uh, songs uh, about his uncle. And the story behind his uncle uh, is incredibly uh, powerful and at times funny and weird. And the whole uh, story you can read uh, along with the songs and the lyrics on uh, his Bandcamp, which is pendejomusic.bandcamp.com. You'll be hearing some more tunes later from that album. If you like what you're hearing, tell some friends, tell some folks, let people know what's going on, what we're doing. That'd be really tight. I'd really, uh, really like that for this to reach more people, as many people as possible. And if you are listening and you want to leave a quick little uh, review, that'd be sweet. Little little rating, little review, drop us some stars, whatever. Uh, tell folks about the podcast. That'd be really sweet. I'd really appreciate it. And that's, I think, all I got. Let's get to this conversation with Ben. Hey Ben. Hey Craig, how are you? I'm doing okay. How are you? I am all right. Yeah, we caught up a little bit uh, before starting to record, but we could have recorded that entire conversation. We could have, yeah. Whatever. It was mostly just us talking about the world as a beautiful place. Yes. And I'm no longer afraid to die. It's a band. Right. For some people who might not know. <laughs> Leading the emo revival. Leading the emo revival. They really are, and I, I'm glad to see that they're not really like rejecting it either. Right. I feel like for a while they were, and then they just, like, owned it. Well, once, like, all the other bands were like, yeah, we kind of are just going off of what they're doing, and Empire Empire, and Tiger's Jaw, I think it kind of became a thing. Like, if you rejected it, you were going to get rejected by the community. Yep. Which, like, and you're from, like, where they're from, right? Yeah, they're from, uh, I think they're from Willimantic, Connecticut, which is, like, eastern Connecticut. I'm from southern Connecticut, but, I mean, the... Like, the hardcore punk scene in my hometown was, like, kind of a big draw for a lot of the bands. Mm-hmm. So they would play, like, like, and their predecessor bands would play in Wallingford all the time. So I've seen, you know, kind of followed them up to that point where they kind of, like, blew up. Yeah, so. yeah. So you're, like, old school. <laughs> Not super old school, because there's <laughs> definitely people in Wallingford that are, like, way more old school than I am. But, yeah. like, certainly, like, I was at a lot of the shows in, like, the, like, early 2000s. Yeah. So... The, like, Josh's Dead era? Um, <laughs> yeah, so, like, yeah, like that. And, like, yeah. the, the bands that were, they were playing with all the time, My Heart to Joy, mm-hmm. um, they played a lot with Hostage Com and, yeah. like, all those bands, and then those bands' predecessors. So, like, I've seen those people kind of, like, like be in different bands, and that's been pretty cool. Yeah, and you're a big Hostage Com guy, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Hostage Com, when they broke up, like a piece of me like a piece of my like scene life died <laughs> i remember getting a text from you where i felt like you were just falling apart via text <laughs> well it was also i was in um minnesota at a conference up when like they announced it i yeah. literally landed in minnesota for a conference and like looked at my phone and it was like hostage com is dead and i was like no like i had no idea how to process that i was like i feel like i need to be back in Connecticut right now and like i, I couldn't be but I, I mean, don't want to believe this. <laughs> it was, and I was like, where 
wearing my hostage comp shirt when they like announced it. So I like, ugh, that was oh, that was a bad insult day. Insult to injury. I know. Wearing the shirt when it happens. And, like one of my tattoos is a at all costs tattoo, which is the band that hostage comp was before they like dropped their horns and became hostage comp. Yeah. So like, like Chris Martin and Tim Casey have put out some pretty awesome projects that have been like super um, influential in like my my younger days in punk yeah. so um you're already taking away one of my lightning round questions which oh is no. great which <laughs> i know i know you listen so yes i'm I... prepared for them kind of <laughs> <laughs> i was like he's gonna ask me about this that and the other thing so i better have an answer well i appreciate you being one of the the loyal listeners i think from the beginning which i which is awesome yes and what's great uh about my relationship with ben uh full name ben mcnamee yes uh, a couple years ago, we presented at NASPA's Region 1 conference yep. on in, like, Newport. in Newport, Rhode Island, on punk culture and how it like informs our work, uh, us as human beings, and really how to like really address alternative students. And so, and Ben and I, I think the fun thing about Ben and I is we have two very different <laughs> approaches to it, while having very similar ethics. I'm the tattoos out no hold barred kind of guy and Ben goes the systemic way <laughs> by going through the union <laughs> which is I think the most punk thing you can do here <laughs> um, so we both work here at UMass Boston which again was kind of serendipitous yeah I was super stoked when I when I was offered just an interview here I was like Ben what do I need to know <laughs> about that place yeah I was super I, stoked when you were going through the process here I was like I hope that I hope that this works out because like <laughs> Like I had met, like met you through Twitter, uh-huh. and then like met Such you is the to case. Do, right, and then met you through the presentation, and yeah. like we met up to like talk about the presentation uh-huh. and stuff like that. But it was cool when you were interviewing here, and then like I think it was like your first or second day here. Uh-huh. I like took you up a mini tour of campus because like just to show you like where things were. Yeah, and so uh, landing here has been great because now over the last what two years, we've really been able to like be in meetings together yep. and. Um, do, do all sorts of things together here on campus, which is awesome. And one thing that you do specifically here is you work with our union, and you um, are an academic advisor. Can you tell folks a little bit more specifically about who you are, what you do, and how you got here? Yeah, so I'm Ben McNamee. I'm a student services specialist academic advisor for the College of Management. Um, so what that means, I like to say that I provide a vibrant gumbo of student experiences because oh. um, it's like a little bit of everything. So a lot of it is academic advising where I help students, um, you know, figure out what they want to concentrate in, what they want to major in, um, and help them figure out, I guess, like the practical pieces to help them figure out their classes each semester. Um, but also we just kind of serve as like general student advocates where if they don't know who to turn to or like who to ask a question to, we can serve as like a general resource and get them connected to the right resources or yeah. like advocate on their behalf yeah um and then for union stuff on campus um i started off with being an area rep which is like basically helping um get the word out about different union initiatives um and then from there i stepped up to be on the grievance committee and now i'm the chair of the contract action team dang where did you go to school um, undergrad, Southern Connecticut State University. Go Owls. Go Owls. Yeah, I was a history education major with a political science minor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I went to graduate school at the University of Rhode Island mm-hmm. for um, in the college student personnel program. Dang. URI is a pretty choosy program. 
I, um, As I remember. Yes, I, I believe it is. Mm-hmm. I haven't, like, kept up with their admissions stuff recently, but, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like, last week, last two weeks, we've had a great couple episodes on just grad prep, so yeah. folks looking into programs, URI's pretty tight. I really, I liked your last two episodes a lot, mm-hmm. like, hearing from all those different people and all their different perspectives. You yeah. did, like, a really good job. I'm assuming it was intentional of like finding people with like very different things to say because like mm-hmm. all I, there are four or five people I can't remember mm-hmm. but yeah but they all if you put them all in a room they wouldn't have agreed on pretty much anything so they no. all like had different perspectives and I thought that that was super cool. Woo and it was great because I specifically was looking for people from all over the country too. Yeah. To show that like regionally where you go could make a difference on what you learn too. Yeah. I mean because I went to UMass Amherst which is Amherst which is a hyper-progressive, take-down-the-system program. Like, the very first day of graduate school, they're like, when our, one of our first classes was just listing all the things that are wrong with higher education and, like, neoliberalism and everything. And at the end of this hour, where none of us really said anything except for our professor, she goes, okay, how are y'all going to fix it? <laughs> <laughs> and we were like, ah... Oh. You're like, give me two years and I'll write about that at the end. Yeah, I'll have this figured out in two years. Great. Uh, whatever. But it was great. It was a great couple of years. Yeah. Now. Yeah, I, lo- I liked URI a lot. We had um, a huge emphasis on social justice. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the first, two of the first classes that we took were um, focused around social justice with um, Dr. Vaccaro. And every, basically every other class after that kind of like built through that lens. Mm-hmm. Um so I, I know there are, like, a lot of programs that have, like, like on, the, on that future grad student Facebook page or whatever, everybody's like, I'm looking for a program that's focused on social justice. Um, and there are some programs that, like, come to mind that, like, put that out there as being the focus. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, I, I feel like URI has that focus as well as being, like, a pretty generalist program. So it was really cool. Um, one of my favorite classes that we got to take was on environments. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that's a class that not a lot of programs have, and that was a super cool class to take. Environments as in, like, work environments, or what do you mean? Yeah, so, like, um, environmental theories in higher education, so, like, creating, like, even something as thinking about, like, design, and how we design buildings, and how that facilitates different student behavior, and how that um, has students, like, how students adapt the the college campus to meet their needs, even if it wasn't designed to help them. Hmm. So That's pretty sweet. It was super cool. Yeah. And you grew up in uh, the Connecticut punk and hardcore scene. Yes. Because uh, I try to make the, somewhat of a connection when I can to folks who actually grew up punks uh, and continue to be so in their life. Tell me what that was like growing up. What, what were you seeing? What were you doing? What was influencing you? So so I was in a band when I was mm-hmm. um, growing up I was the screamer it was a screamo band that recently reformed right yeah we had like a little reunion show to kind of because the um, guitar player Tom Imey is in like a solo project band called Twin Souls mm-hmm. with two I's T-W-I-I-N Souls mm-hmm. um, and he was moving out to California and so he wanted to have like a tour kickoff kind of show so we did a reunion to like draw people <laughs> in for like his tour kickoff so that was cool so like like the fr- everybody like I feel like a common question that you get asked sometimes is like what was your first concert I actually played in the first concert I ever went to really yeah what? so it was like a basement show of like us and like this other metal band from um the other side of town so like it was basically this like 
like death metal think like heavily influenced by like Slipknot kind of metal. Yeah. And then no trash cans were hurt. I hope. Um, not at that show. It was like <laughs> no, no. There was like probably fifteen people there. Um, and then us who were like at the time we were trying. It was before we were a screamo band. So like this metal band and then like this like crappy pop punk band from like that nobody from that side of town knew. So mm-hmm. it was just like these strangers in this crappy pop punk band. So like um, that. That was, like, my first show, and then from there, like, we evolved into a screamo band, and I started going to Connecticut, I feel like because it has, it's, like, so small and can't sustain, like, separate scenes, all of the scenes kind of, like, come together a lot, and so you'll end up with a show with, like, a ska band, a pop punk band, a screamo band, (laughs) a hardcore band, and, like, that's perfectly normal. Yeah, that was, like, college for me, too. Yeah. Because everyone was doing such different stuff. Right. And Oregon didn't really have a concentrated scene... For any genre, so yeah, well. yeah. There's a. I would say like when I was in high, high starting high school, there was like a big ska scene in Connecticut. So I definitely grew up like with ska being the thing. And then as the hardcore scene kind of like moved in a little bit, um, then we ended up with ska core. And I feel like ska core is like that's where that's the sweet spot for me. Oh wow! Yeah. What were some great ska names? That um, you were hearing? I don't know. Oh, Infamous Jake and the Pinstripe Mafia was a good one. <laughs> um, the Flaring Tsunamis is like a good ska core band. That's like one great. of your favorite bands though, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, the Flamingos were very popular at the time. Um, the Pseudo Superheroes were another ska core band. Okay. Lots of ska, ska bands on their long names as we're talking about the world is a beautiful place and I'm no longer afraid to die, right? Which is funny because like my friends in college, they have a band, they had a band, and it was called Target for Tomorrow and the Horns of Destruction. Yeah. But they started out as Pilot Light. Hmm. And they're a ska <laughs> band. They're like a prog ska band. Yeah. And so it was like RX Bandits meets Streetlight. Hmm. And so uh, it was always weird to me because they would play these gigs and I'm like, your, your name is way too short to be a ska band. Right. Way too short. Come on. Step it up a little bit. Yeah. Just, yeah, whatever. Um, I feel the same way about the Flamingos, but they were great. Yeah? Yeah. If you Google them, they might come up, but there's also apparently this, like, 50s band named the Flamingos. Okay. They come up more often. Like, my phone, when I am listening to the Flamingos, automatically puts in this picture of this, like, 50s doo-wop band, (laughs) but I'm like, nope, that's a band from Cromwell, like, (laughs) put out out two CDs and then died. I don't know. Oh. Um, so I just drooled on myself. (laughs) Like a big old idiot. Uh, sorry, just finishing a protein bar, and then I just drooled on myself like an idiot. I'm forgetting how to be a person. As I'm taking notes about the wonderful things you're saying about ska bands, uh, what do you think was something that the punk scene gave you growing up? Like, what kind of, was was it like a release? Was it like a community? What was that like for you? Um, I would say I got different things depending on how I was interacting with the scene. So when I was in my band and, like, putting on shows and things like that, I feel like the, we were, like, super DIY. Like, we were, we had, like, a little fund where we would, like, we'd rent out the hall, we'd do all the advertising, we'd, like, obviously write our songs and, like, find other bands to put onto the the show and stuff like that. So, like, that work ethic of, like, if you want this to happen, you have to do it. Mm -hmm. I feel like, yeah, that, like, really has lived with me. So, like, putting on those shows, that was, like that has stayed with me I think is to like just like everybody pitch in a little bit and you'll get things accomplished that you never thought you'd be able to get done we did a ton of um charity shows uh for like like there was the that um, tsunami that happened Mm -hmm. so we did like things for that we did things for um autism awareness Mm because it's like things that our friends were passionate about we would Mm -hmm. like put on a 
a benefit show for whatever that was. So um, that has stayed with me as well. And then going to shows, I feel like, gave me two main things. One would be, like, a release, as, as you were saying. So, like, you know, just, like, pent-up energy, like, go and, like, I don't know, be around a whole bunch of people, get punched in the face maybe, and, like, <laughs> move on with your day and, like, you know, mosh and, like, get some aggression out. And, like, that was super fun. But then also, um, like, a sense of community, especially as the... Like, Wallingford had, like, a youth crew hardcore kind of come back to it, yeah. and that brought the Straight Edge bands. And yeah. so I've been Straight Edge, like, my whole life, and, yeah. you know, so I still live that way today and yeah. try to live clean and live positively, so. What, what, so, and I, I, I came up Straight Edge, I didn't have a word for it, I didn't have a term for it. In college, I fell off. I've talked about this a little bit on the pod, uh, where I had a couple of years where I was off, but... Being back on for the last five and a half years, being sober and being clean, um, what does being straight edge mean to you? Um, like, why was that an important thing to add to your life? I feel like, I mean, there's like there's like two ways to kind of view straight edge, I guess. So one is like a set of rules, but minor threat does not agree with that sort of thing. So like, um, like a <laughs> very of, strict. Right. So like hard line straight edge, not I don't know, not really my thing. Like yeah. I, I follow all those rules, but like not like. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I don't try to impose that on other people. Yeah. But I, I feel like the other side of it is, like, to live cleanly and live positively. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just try to, like, I feel like that has had a huge influence on how I just view the world to, like, see things, try to see things through a positive lens and, like, um, just try to experience things as a human without any, like, mind-altering <laughs> substances and, like, to try to be in control as much as um, you can of your own life. So Yeah. As someone who fell off the wagon on and has been reflecting a lot on what it was like when I fell off um, I'm very thankful to have that control again yeah because the control I think is really important especially when in certain scenes and in certain I don't know communities it's really easy to get trapped into that it's that sphere of pressure with your friends and especially when you're at that certain age where everyone's kind of like I don't know influencing each other and drinking becomes a big thing and drugs become a big thing when you're around I don't want to say the wrong people but when you're around influential people that are not that don't have like your best interests in mind it can be such a toxic environment so it was it was it was hard for me to find that uh growing up like a space where it wasn't like full of toxic people now, here in Boston, I have a lot of that stuff, but, yeah, it's yeah. a little bit harder. I'm glad that you had that growing up, though. Yeah, and I also know, like, I feel like I have a, um, <clears throat> like, an addicting, like, an addictive personality, what do they call Same. it? Same! Like, so if you do something, like, you do it until, like, it's, like, ad nauseum, so, yep. like, I feel like if I did start to get into drugs or drinking, like, I would be, like, very into it. Right? So, I'll just, like, I don't know, I don't trust myself enough with that. Oh, my <laughs> gosh! I didn't know that about you. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, because, like, you seem to have everything, like, under control all the time. But deep down, <laughs> I'm just trying to, like, tear you apart right now. Because, <laughs> like, deep down for me, it's, like, I get on to things. Like, it could be, uh, like, when I was growing up, it was, like, Mario Kart. Mm. Like, I got addicted to Mario Kart mm. and just playing that all the time. And then those addictions changed to, like, poker when the money was involved. And that's a that's a problem. Yeah. And drinking and candy and all these other things that come and go and come and go. And now um, it's, like, 
I don't know, now I've been having issues with like eating and running and that whole relationship. And yeah. so uh, it's it's tricky. But I'm, uh, that's interesting to know. I never knew yeah. that about you. A simple, a simple example would be Pokemon Go came and went, but I'm still trying to train to be the very best. Like, <laughs> I'm legitimately like, well, when I run, that's what I, I like play Pokemon Go when I run. Yeah, like, what? Yeah, I'm like, I'm telling you, level 37, anybody plays, like, I'll school ya. <laughs> Cool, we're going to take a quick break from the conversation with Ben just to bring you a quick ad from the nonprofit that Katie and I run for The Art of Survival. Uh, we have t- we had taken a little bit of a break from sh- sharing stories, but we are, we are back as of uh, today, th- uh, me recording this. So this week we have a, our first new story up on the website uh, since August, which has been a minute for us. But we're excited to be sharing stories again, getting stories out there. Life's been a little bit a little bit chaotic, but we're, we're back on it. We've been tabling at some concerts, some venues, some shows. It's been a lot of fun getting getting the word out and uh, supporting our community that way, uh, spreading a lot of resources for sexual assault prevention and suicide uh, prevention as well. And so if you or a friend have a story that you'd like to share with us, or would just like to be involved, or would just like to be an artist, or anything, reach out to us at artissurvival.com, and we will get back to you as soon as we can, as soon as possible. If you're sharing a story, we'll even ha- reach out to see what kind of artist you want to have make make a piece of art for telling your story. And it'll be great, and we'll be able to tell more stories, and build a community around healing, and around supporting folks who are survivors of trauma. We really just want folks to feel like they're not alone out there and feel like we really do have some folks that are out there trying to help uh, others heal and trying to um, feel a little bit less alone in a world where it seems like everyone is a terrible person these days. So (laughs) if you have a story to tell or would like to be involved, just reach out to artissurvival.com Go to share your story or contact or about us. Find, find, get, you'll, you'll be able to get a hold of us. It'll be easy. It's all there on the website. And the website, you can just click on the show notes if you're in the podcast app. You'll, you'll get there. It'll be nice and easy. All right, now let's get back to this conversation with Ben. All right, so the work you do here at UMass Boston do you like doing it? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like I'm very fortunate because I think about, I work with a lot of students who have, because their management majors are like, come in, a lot of them come in, not all of them, and certainly not even most of them, but a lot of them come in and um, talk about how they want to go into a certain field because there's a lot of money to be made. And so I'm like, oh, that's like that'd be cool to like make a lot of money. But then I'm like, I couldn't ever imagine doing a job that like didn't have some sort of like purpose behind like yeah those jobs have purpose that's like not the right thing to say um (laughs) like have like a mission behind it that i can like buy into yeah as well right Hmm. yeah so um i thoroughly enjoy my job like as an academic advisor i've been an academic advisor here i did it at uri while i was in grad school as a, a grad assistant um 
and I like that work because every day is a little different, every interaction is a little different, everybody is trying to do something different. Um, but also working at UMass Boston, I think, is super cool because like we have this like social justice mission and like we kind of like live it out by just being who we are and where we are. Yeah. Um, being the only four-year public research university in Boston and like our student population is like super diverse and mm-hmm. um, like like these students, I don't like I don't know like ha- having the opportunity to, to come to college. Um, and be at UMass Boston and like learn from each other I think is super awesome and I'm always inspired by what our students are able to teach me and teach each other so yeah and I and I I echo everything you're saying because I mean I love working here for the same reasons and um, I think one of the things that um, while in the context of Boston we're basically seen as a glorified community college at times um, it's giving it's given me a greater appreciation for the types of students and the people who go that route, or even sometimes their circumstance kind of dictates that they have to go that route, mm. and still seeing how many of them are fucking determined mm. to get a degree, to make something of themselves, to make their families proud. And every time I talk to a student who um, that is their first priority, is like, I'm getting this degree. Yeah. Like, it always makes me super happy because. The, a lot of our students aren't here to party. They're not here to, like, be in frass. We don't have frass. We don't have Greek life. We don't have any of that stuff. We we don't even have a residence hall until <laughs> next year. In 50, what, 52 years of a university? Yep. None. Yeah. And so, like, our students are coming here because they want to get a degree. Yeah. And they want to have a community that supports them. Yeah. And by that... When you said um, students who chose that route, do you mean, like, went to community college and then transferred here? Or, uh, yeah, so that, or chose to come here yeah, straight out because they're like, I want to go, I want to get that experience, or that's the experience that w- would, like, I would get value out of that. Yeah. And because even before I went to college, like, when I went to college and throughout my years at college, I always had... This is like an internalized stigma I had against people who went to community college. I was like, oh, you weren't good enough to get into a four-year. And I was a pretentious piece of shit. I was. I am. (laughs) But I am. But, like, working here has really, like, shattered that. And then you realize the people who went to community college first are, like, leaving with significantly less debt and got, like, the same education. Yep. (laughs) It feels great. (laughs) I guess I should have said this in my intro, too. One of the things that I do for the college management is I run a transfer student learning community. Um, So I work a lot with transfer students, and it just, like, most of our population is transfer students, so I don't even, like, like, I advocate for them in whatever setting I'm in to talk about, like, why are we not thinking about transfer students? Why are we not thinking about transfer students? Everybody's probably sick of me hearing me say that. Um, But I feel like... That's, that's like, a, a huge part of my job is thinking about transfer students. Um, yeah. And I and at so many other universities and having been a transfer student from my undergrad, during my undergrad, there is, like, no emphasis put on them. And I was talking to Katie, actually, just last night about how um, our orientation during the summer has, um, what, 17 sessions total? <laughs> so many. Like, 12 of those, or 11 of those are transfer orientations. Like, five or six are first-year orientations, like traditional first-year orientations. Whereas, like, most universities will have, like, 
a couple transfer orientations or one, and it's like right before school starts, yeah. and some of them get like no options on classes. Yeah. But like here, we're like, no, we like front load it. You yeah, yeah. you are you all got to get in because we got to get you through. Right. <laughs> we are we are a transfer majority campus to some degree. Yeah, it's intense. I don't know the like the. I don't know overall the number, either, but, but in in the college of management, we are majority transfer. Feels like it on campus. When I yeah. talked to when I talk to people, and I, I do talks in like first year seminars too. And one of my things is that, that I lead with was that I transferred from uh, University of Oregon to Oregon State after my first year because I realized it wasn't the place for me. Yeah, uh, I got what I could from it, but being in a different environment was better for me. And so it seems to land pretty well because even some students who are coming here maybe to just even get like some of the prerequisites out of the way to maybe go to a different school even um that i think is like good for some of them to hear Mm -hmm. because they're like okay i can just move on in a couple years it's not a big deal right and i support that yeah i actively tell students i don't care if they graduate i care that they take care of themselves while they're here that's my job your job is to make sure they graduate. <laughs> yes, make sure. Yeah, make sure they graduate. I always say that my, I care more about their success mm-hmm. and whatever that means to them than mm-hmm. like making sure that like whatever their like four year retention rate or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, and I'm like, and I also took six years to do my degrees, so take your time. Yeah. If you need to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But if their success means they need to take a semester off to like focus on themselves exactly. for a little bit and then come back like there's ways to make that up you can take summer classes you can take winter classes like whatever if, like if you're still trying to stay on whatever that path is but yeah. you know at, like i always tell them everybody gets to a different place and everybody gets to where they're going different ways so there's not one there's not one right way to do college even though mm-hmm. i feel like the perception is that there is one right way to do college oh my gosh yes yep that's actually going to be like a, a whole section in my book that i'm working on yeah eventually Whenever I find that time. Yeah. Speaking of finding the time, uh, you do stuff outside of your uh, work requirements, which is admirable. I think we kind of all have to here to <laughs> some degree, <laughs> given these budgets. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we were recently in the globe again. Uh, always. <laughs> we're always in the globe. Damn it. Um, but can you explain a little bit of the work you do with the union here? And maybe why it's so important to you to be involved in it? Yeah, so um, I've been a union member my entire working life. Um, I started when I was in high school. I was working at Stop and Shop with the United Food Commercial Workers Union. Um, And then when I was at URI, I was in Graduate Assistance United, um, organized grad students. And then when I was here, I was in the Professional Staff Union, which is a part of the Massachusetts Teachers Association. Mm -hmm. So I have this... um, understanding and like love for what unions do and what they stand for Mm -hmm. Um, i took some labor history classes when i was in college as a history major Um, so when i got here and we went to orientation hr does their thing and they tell you all about like the benefits package and make you sign a million things and yeah some of it you understand some of it you don't (laughs) most of it you don't (laughs) right (laughs) wait which health plan am i picking then all of a sudden i get all this paperwork i'm like i don't remember picking this (laughs) but you did but apparently i did So they have that, but then they also send you to union orientation where one of the um, union organizers or, like, um, chair people will be there to kind of, like, give you the scoop on what it, like, do you want to join the union, do you not want to join the union, whatever it is. And so from there, I I told them, I was like, hey, I was the 
and when I was at URI, I was the president of Graduate Assistance United in my second year. Um, it was like I was the president of my union. I really believe in all of this, and like I kind of gave like a short little pitch to like everybody in the room to like yeah. like you should join the union. Um, <laughs> and then after that, Mary Jo, who's one of the the organizers for our union, um, came up to me and said, "Hey, do you want to get involved? Like once you get settled, we can work on that." Um, and once I got past my probation, then I signed on to be an area rep and all that. Nice. And then now I'm all this other stuff with the grievance committee and the contract. What's a action. grievance committee look like? Can you, ex- for some folks who don't, might not have a union, can you explain what grievances are and even what uh, that work looks like? Yeah. So, right, so I guess let's take. Sorry. <laughs> Craig's, Craig's kicking his desk over here. I forgot that there's like a box <laughs> underneath my desk. Um, yeah. So I guess. To explain what a grievance is, I kind of would have to take a step back and explain, like, the purpose of a union. Yeah. So, okay, so... Explain that. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, so unions mostly are here to provide a collective bargaining experience, and what that means is that everybody who works on campus in the unit, so we're the professional staff union, so staff on campus, um, that we also have the... the um, CSU and the FSU. So, like, there's a bunch of different unions on campus. So, like, within our bargaining unit, basically the union um, decide, like, helps negotiate a contract with the university management. And so they come in and say, like, we are hoping to get raises and we're hoping to get, like, these benefits and these language changes in the contract. And they go through this whole negotiation process. At the end of it comes a contract. And basically what the grievance committee does is we look at that contract and then um, if there's any violation of the contract, a member can then point to the language in the contract and say, I think my contract rights that the university negotiated are being violated and I'd like to file a grievance. Hmm. So that's where a grievance comes from is like you say, say you're being asked to work. <laughs> this is a little laughable, maybe. Say you're asked to work more than your 37 and a half hours a week, yep. right? You could say, if it's habitual and, like, it's a problem, yeah. you could point to it and say, like, I'm only contracted to work this many hours. Can I, like, grieve that to, like, get comp time or get, mm-hmm. like, um, overtime or whatever it is? Yeah. So usually that's, usually it's not the hours work thing that comes up. Usually it's, like, working conditions or, mm-hmm. um, like, time off denials or, like, yeah. things like that. So, but basically... If there's a, um, if something isn't being followed in the contract that the university signed off on saying this is what we think the rights and like of our employees are, then we can work to help remedy that. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, that all makes sense. I mean, I, I, I hope I, so. I, <laughs> well, no, and I'm glad that you explained that because uh, there are folks all the t- like all the time. I see kind of disgruntled at work, being overworked in our field, RDs, yeah. um, and I feel get taken advantage of. And as someone who, like, I've been a part of the, uh, I was uh, unionized as a graduate student at UMass Amherst, yeah. which is where I, and I did a lot of work with the Graduate Student Senate there, so I was connected with the union uh, at UMass Amherst a whole lot. And it was the UAW 22-something, I think. 
Yeah. 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 I always um, thought it was interesting that the United Auto, auto Workers, workers <laughs> unionized grad students. I was yeah. like, I don't. I, I was at a union conference and I met somebody. It was somebody from UMass Amherst who was like one of your chapter board presidents, yeah. and I was like, "Tell me more." Yeah, it <laughs> why, was always. Why are the auto workers unionizing grad students? <laughs> that was always weird to me. But I was like, "All right, tell you, I'll, I'll, I'll take this. I'll, I'll learn about this." But what, what really, what really came through to me, working in a unionized environment, is I feel like it takes a little bit of the. Um, I don't know, not necessarily stress, but the ability to know that you can go talk to someone if you are feeling overworked or overstressed or um, kind of taken advantage of was like a good option to know that was there. Yeah. And I feel like in some institutions where those don't exist, that creates a big problem. Right. Now... In my talking and my experience with, with unions and whatnot, and union protections and grievance, even the ability to file a grievance, mm-hmm. and talking to some of my colleagues, folks are like, but how hard is it even to like get a union started? Do you have anything to say on that? Or uh, Every union that I've been a part of was already Was already started. there, yeah. Um, I did, when I was at URI, we were in conversations and like sharing our contract language with the folks at UConn who were trying to get their grad students unionized. Um, so I don't know, like there's a lot of work that goes into it. You have to get like a certain percentage of people to vote on. You have to get the management to recognize it. You have to, it's like a whole process to actually get a union started. Not to mention that like the whole the other like big purpose of a union is to give the power back to the members. Yeah. And the university has to be willing to do that. Exactly. Right. So, um, they have to, (laughs) so I feel like when there's ever union conversations that like bubble up, it's like in higher ed, but also like in the private sector, like there's like things that come out to be like, Oh, unions are bad ideas. They're like bad for their members. Yada, yada. They just cost you money, blah, Mm. blah, blah. So like you'll see this whole big, like, union smear campaign come through and kind of like try to get people to vote against it um, so that it doesn't happen. When like, and the people who are often doing smearing are like people who are not benefiting or like are deeply not benefiting from. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like my, um, my mom works at, at, um, maybe I won't name it. Um, it's a large corporation she works for a store that is part of a larger corporation every year i feel like every year every other year she has to go to some training where basically they like make her watch like anti-union propaganda videos oh wow to be like if union people start coming around your store and talk to you about trying to join a union here's why you shouldn't do it yada 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 so like this big organization is like spending time and resources to like force all their employees to have time off to like watch these videos where (laughs) they're like um why you shouldn't join a union and so that like the anti-union sentiment's hard and it's going to get worse with um supreme courts taking up a case mm-hmm. um this year yeah um janice versus ask me versus ask ask me i can never say you're, that. you're jumping ahead of me i like yeah. this no go ahead can you explain folks what's going on with that yeah so um basically the way that things work now for public sector unions is we have to represent <laughs> every person who works at the university that would be normally in that bargaining unit. But people have a choo- people have a choice to not join the union. 
So let's say you chose to not pay union dues, you don't want to join the union, but then you want to file a grievance, we would still have to represent you, and our contract still covers you. Hmm. Right. So the way that unions have worked that out is to charge agency fee. So you have to pay agency fee because that's the cost associated mm-hmm. with like if you did want to file a grievance. Like, so you're paying like partial dues, but we still cover you. Mm-hmm. So Janice, the whole case is to say that um, they they want to have they don't want to make it legal for unions to charge agency fee to people who choose to not join the union. Hmm. Um, so it, it would then basically be, be people could join the union and pay full dues or they would not join the union and then not pay anything but still be covered. So hmm. there's going to be a big fight around that coming up. I think they're hearing the case in the Supreme Court's hearing the case in January. And then um, if that passes, which with a conservative Supreme Court probably will pass um it'll be a big hit to public sector unions and there'll be like lots of membership drives and hopefully we can organize around that and like and work around that being the case but um it's going to be tough times for unions coming up yeah and it's it's strange to me because it seems that a lot of unions are in areas where i consider And are involved with like industries where I consider the, the the populace is likely a little bit more conservative, and yet, like I'm thinking of like um, like places in Pennsylvania. Yeah, like steel workers unions in Pittsburgh yeah. and like stuff like that. And yet, yeah. there's conservative working, work conservative folks like working against like those needs or those desires of like folks in unions. Right. And it seems backwards to me <laughs> to do that to yeah. people well yeah because i well i guess the like the people and the money flowing behind the anti-union sentiment mm-hmm. is like like pri- the private sector does yeah. not want unions to no. exist like it would be easier for the auto industry if they didn't have to deal with unions they could pay people less and like they could pay people less they could work longer hours yeah. for less pay yep yeah and the thing is like once like if one company is unionized and the other one isn't, the people who aren't unionized still benefit from the other company being unionized because if, this is not an example, but, like, if mm-hmm. Chevy, Chevrolet, or GM has a union and Ford doesn't, then the Ford has to pay their people competitive rates so otherwise they're going to go work for GM. Mm-hmm. So, like, everybody benefits in the industry from the union being there because a rising tide lifts all boats is, like, the, the old yeah. phrase. So, yeah, um, and... And a big thing that I feel gets swept up in some of some of the union conversation is healthcare stuff. Yep. And because when I was in graduate school, I was shocked to learn that I got healthcare yeah. because of my union thanks yep. to my grad program, which blew me away. Right. And they were they were always like, "Your your healthcare is better than like a professional employee here," and it like blew me away. And it, I I learned through being there a couple years at UMass Amherst. It was through the uh, collective bargaining agreement that since the university um, monetarily benefits from our research and the work that we do, they had to take care of us and keep us healthy and alive wow. so we could do that free research. What a concept. Them. Right? <laughs> Oh my gosh! Yeah. It was amazing to me. Yeah. Like, and the university was like okay with that. Granted, we had a little bit of a, a struggle in the second year I was there, um, getting our contract like finalized again. Yeah. But like, we ended up 
getting a little bit out of that more than we thought we would. Mm-hmm. So, um, what do you see? What do you see as some of the uh, major ways that you go into like a collective bargaining? Um, conversation. What what types of things do you want to bring to the table? What types of people do you want to have conversations with before you go in there? Who do you want at the table? Um, okay. So I've never been in a negotiation session, but yeah. with the contract action team that I chair, yeah. basically we're like the um, the group that gets information out from the negotiation team. So the negotiation team goes and meets with management, and they say like, oh, we're having trouble getting them to budge on this area so then we create like a campaign to get people aware that like hey they're thinking of increasing the parking fee or whatever it is and then people get angry about it and then we direct that anger back and then have like a big demonstration and then the next time they go to negotiations it um helps the union in the in their arguments to say like did you see all those people that showed up at quinn pissed off like (laughs) they can really help you to um like push push the conversation so Mm -hmm. um i guess one thing that i think is really important for unions to do is to get a pulse for like what the issues are that people are concerned about so find out what your members want find out what they care about and our union did a ton of surveying and asking questions to members about like what do you want us to focus on and then that's how they build their themes and then they um take the, those stories into negotiations with them and they try to we try to get as many people um to tell their stories in front of the negotiation team as much as possible so yeah. Okay, time for a quick music break to bring you a song from the band Pendejo. Uh, you've already heard a little bit of the the band throughout this episode, but I'm going to share with you a full a full song. It's called Broken Arm. It is from the new album Tio, which is the band's first uh, album, uh, a full-length album. And as a note, uh, Chris, the uh, guitarist, singer, uh, songwriter for the band, um, lists a note about the album that Tio is a concept album about his uncle Tio Harold, a Puerto Rican man in his fifties who lives with autism. Uh, rather than a single uh, linear narrative, this album is more a collection of true stories that I that he has uh, either heard about his uh, uncle growing up or experienced himself. Whether it's visiting Venezuela during Chavez's coup or competing at the Special Olympics, uh, Harold is an incredible person with a big heart, uh, a love for drawing and jet planes, and an ambition to be the best that he can be. He is a personal hero of Chris's, and he wrote these songs because he believes this story should be shared with the world. And having listened to the album a few times now, it is a really special album. It's a really special punk record. I think it is a true testament to telling a story about someone that you love, someone that you care about, someone that might be a little misunderstood. Having written an album like that myself, I feel a lot of connection to the work that Chris has done writing this album. So I wanted to share it all with you. And now I want y'all to hear a song called Broken Arm. It comes from Pendejo's new album, Tio, which you can find on pendejomusic.bandcamp.com. And I'll have a bunch more information and whatnot in the show notes. But for now, here's Broken Arm by Pendejo. Still waiting by the street sign like you were told to do. It will be fine, just have to wait for your sister until five, till she arrives. They broke your arm, smash your head into the ground. Yeah, you stayed there until you were found by your sister. Now it's time to kick their ass now. 
That was Broken Arm by Pendejo. If you like what you heard, go to pendejomusic.bandcamp.com, download the album Tio, and support good, wholesome, pure, beautiful music. Thank you. And now, let's finish this conversation with Ben McNamee. Kind of coming to an end with the conversation a little bit. We'll talk a little bit more before we get to the lightning round. To the lightning round, which I know you're ready for. I'm so prepped for the lightning (laughs) round. (laughs) Uh, What do you think... What would you tell someone that is working in an ununionized environment that is potentially considering unionizing? So if somebody's in an environment and there's, like, if people are actively starting to talk about um, organizing to be in a union, I would definitely reach out to, um, like, sort of like a parent organization. I know we were joking earlier that, like, the UAW, like, but, like, find an organization that already exists and have... Like a local one? Oh, it could be local. Like, we're parented by the MTA. Yeah. um, The Massachusetts Teachers Association, which is parented by... Um, the NEA, um, which is like a, a big countrywide mm-hmm. organization. And so find an organization that has the resources and skills because it is highly political. And if, if your university is, or your organization, wherever you work is very opposed to it, like it could, like, if you do it in the wrong way, it could cost you your job. Yeah. So like, you want to make sure that you're working with people who know what they're doing and like have a legal team and like all sorts of people backing them um, to help you out with it. If that's something you're considering. Cause it's not like a, it's not like a easy thing to start from scratch. Oh so, no. Yeah. So and definitely I imagine, get connected. Sorry. And I imagine having some allies, like a like, good amount of allies in your, like in the higher ups or, or like, as in just even uh, in the organizing at the, the, like the base level of like, like you or me, we're colleagues. We're not necessarily high up, right. but like people that you work with. So you, so that there is there show that there is some interest in this and there's like almost a demand or even have some higher ups that, cause I know at certain levels of administration, you can't really be in the right. union anymore. Yep. Um, but if you can have an ally that is higher in the administration who can vouch for you. Yeah. I, I would imagine that's a good yeah, that, that would be place super to helpful. start too. Yeah. But yeah, if you could build solidarity with your colleagues and say like, like find an issue that like everybody's upset about and like help to like, you can make that like the crux of the argument to say why this should happen and then like figure out ways that can benefit you. But really like working with an organization that's already well established. I mean, it, I can't imagine trying to get that organized like just like on a single campus or in like within a single company um and there's organizations out there that would be happy to partner with somebody who's trying to start this so um yeah i don't yeah i guess because i've never started one from scratch like or like really seen one besides uconn start from scratch it's like that's kind of a harder question to answer or give like practical advice on but no but you gave something very practical which is like getting a parent uh, organization that can help because I mean I I wouldn't know where to go the fact that you even knew that helps <laughs> because I imagine for a lot of people who are wanting to do to do this to start a union to get people um, kind of on the same page of advocating for their colleagues and creating some form of reciprocal reciprocal re- relationship with the administration and um, the 
the commoners like you and me, uh, it's important to have an organization that is like almost just outside of it. Yeah. And that can really just come with legal information and that can come with years of experience uh, with activism and with unionizing to, to kind of get that um, that force moving forward. Yeah. And a lot of campuses will have like a labor studies department or mm-hmm. like a labor historian, even like even just that would be helpful to like talk to somebody who's like studied it a little bit or like our campus has a labor resource center that mm-hmm. is um, that is super great. So like anybody in the Boston area could reach out to them. I'm sure they'd be willing to chat with you, but I, I mean, anywhere across the country, they would have, you'd be able to find some sort of lo- local resource to be able to, to help out. And definitely what I'm getting from you is this <clears throat> making a move to try to start a union is very political. Yeah. It can be very tricky. Yep. Depending on where you are in the country, depending on what position you might or may not have. Um, I also imagine race and gender and everything else comes into play when trying to start something like this and being taken seriously. Um, It's not terribly easy to do. I think you and I are in a very privileged situation Mm -hmm. to be sitting here even just having the conversation. But in hopes that it can bring folks to an understanding that if you go through the channels and still challenge the system. Two punks who want to break the system down are hopefully giving some advice here to help folks bring down the system in their own way. Yeah, and I guess, like, a lot of people probably... I don't know that a lot of people listening will be in a position to be able to, like, actively, like, start up a union. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I I guess even if this conversation really helps people to understand that, like, like, when you see... I don't know, like, I feel like the common thing people see is, like, oh, like, unionized construction workers or whatever, like, Mm -hmm. oh, there's, like, two people doing stuff and seven people sitting around doing nothing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and, like, oh, it's because they're in a union that they can get away with that. If I had that job, like, I wouldn't, if that was my job, it wouldn't fly. But, like, if you think about, um, like, everybody was there for a specific reason and everybody's doing a specific task, and especially with like that case, I like it drives me crazy when people have that perception because how many times in a day are you like, like not on task and like, but you don't have the benefit of like having to do that on a highway where everybody's driving past you and True. watching you not be on task. True. Right. So like, <laughs> the perception is that like, like unions like are protection for lazy employees and like all this kind of stuff. But um, I did I th- a big eye roll there. Good. Yes. <laughs> And I, I just feel like even if we're just breaking down the perceptions that like there are these like evil organizations that just like are like sucking people's money and then like protecting lazy employees, I feel like that would be a win for me. And mm-hmm. I feel like there's data that shows that um, when union membership is down, income inequality in this country is up. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's like a complete reverse, like in when union membership was at its height, that's when income inequality was at its smallest in this country. Okay. And then since there's been a huge decline in labor since the seventies, and that's exactly the time in this country when income inequality skyrocketed. Yeah. And the power, when the power leaves the workers and the power leaves the people, that's when people in power and in these positions with money can start to really take advantage of all this. I didn't know it went that deep. 
Yeah, and I mean, unions, if you go to any sort of, like, progressive, like, big progressive event happening in a city, like, marches or, what, like, organized marches or something like that, mm-hmm. um, you'll see unions represented there fighting for progressive, um, like, policies and things like that because they understand um, that people who are struggling, whether it's for, um, like, income inequality <laughs> or... Um, gender equality or anything like that it's usually unions are backing some of these um, initiatives and really fighting for this and that comes back to unions being full of socialists and communists but uh, <laughs> we are full of them do you have anything else you'd like to add um, all this I guess stuff? I would just say like there's there's gonna be this big fight for unions coming up and if you could like read more even reading, like, one article about, like, labor history and the struggle that this movement has come to be, if you could just, like, educate yourself a little bit more on this topic as this big fight comes up, um, and make your decision one way or the other, but, like, don't perpetuate old stereotypes and things like that that are not helping the conversation. Like, read an article, read a book, like, you know, there's lots of different things out there that you can do, um, and educate yourself on this as it becomes a hot topic issue. Because I know right now we're talking about tax reform, and that's, like, dominating the headlines. But as soon as this dies out and the Supreme Court cases start to come out in the spring, this is what people are going to be talking about. So you can prepare yourself now by reading some stuff. um, Well, there was even a big conversation on it during the last election, too. Yeah, well, there was a Supreme Court case last year, um, Friedrichs, which was, like, basically the exact same case um, with a different person. But... um, it failed because Scalia died, and then the Supreme Court tied, so it got kicked back. So now there's this new case. Um, so that's why it was being talked about last year, too. Okay. Cool. Let's head to the lightning round. Cool. I'm ready. Ben. I'm ready. All right. Ben? Yeah. Favorite color? Purple. Really? Yeah. Purple? I was, uh, I chaired Relay for Life in undergrad yeah. for a couple of years, um, and Relay for Life's color is purple, so it's yeah. just stuck with me. Just purple. became your color? Yeah, I love it. Oregon State, man, orange became my color. Yeah. Too much. For my big bobby up there. Um, Lots of orange. What about, what about, what about a favorite food, Ben? Uh, chicken parmesan. Really? Yeah. Nice. I also really like falafel. Yes. I'm a big falafel guy. I never had it until I went to URI. Okay. I fell in love with it. What? Okay, so... You're not a straight. You're, you're a straight edge guy. Yes. Give me a soft drink. Mister mm, Pib. Mister Pib. Yeah. Dang. Throwbacks with Mister Pib. <laughs> did you ever have? Did you all ever have Dad's root beer out here? No. Okay, that might be a West Coast thing. Mm. There's also a really good. Um, uh, now that I talked about it, I'm gonna forget the name of it. What about RC Cola? RC Cola is okay. Fox and Park, that's what it's called. Fox and Park? Yeah, it's based out of East Haven, Connecticut. It's, like, a local soda company out of Connecticut, and, like, it's at all the, like, Hmm. New Haven pizza places and things like that. It's, like, it's really good. Tell me about Moxie. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Moxie is a soft drink that tastes like pine trees (laughs) based out of Maine. (laughs) To me, it tastes like... If you put RC Cola and Dr. Pepper no. in the oh. same thing. No, I feel like that would up. be delicious. Well, it would be okay. Moxie, I feel like, it tastes like have, liquefied pine tree. It has a bite to it mm. that, like, if you, if that's not, I, I, I don't mind Moxie, but the first time I tried it, I was like, what is that? And then, like, the next day I was like, man, I could go for a Moxie. <laughs> I, drink, I drink one Moxie a year. 
we have my friends from high school get together and have like a Fourth of July party, and they all like drink whatever they're drinking. But I always bring Moxie and drink Moxie at that party. It's like my thing. Do you bring like a six pack? Uh, yeah. Well, I think they only sell it in twelve packs, so I buy yeah, a lot of it. But yeah, yeah. I always and then I post something along the lines of like. Today, I have the freedom to choose to drink whatever I want, and I'm drinking terrible soda. (laughs) (laughs) You're really good at making decisions, Ben. I'm proud of you. Thanks. Uh, Give me a podcast or two that you like to listen to. Um, Beyond this one. Yeah. Well, it's funny, because I was thinking of... I knew you were going to ask me that question, and I was thinking... (laughs) Oh! I was well because like I feel like you ask everybody that question no, and the fact I that ask I ask a few people that one. But I, I talk to you about podcasts a lot, yeah, so I knew true. I knew you were gonna ask me about that. And I thought about like what podcast I listen to that I like. Whenever it pops into my feed, I instantly listen to it. Okay. Your podcast is one of them oh. that I listen to like within a day or two when it comes out. Oh, good. Um, I won't listen to this one since I was, I was here live. Yeah. Um, Unless you want to hear the fun music. <laughs> oh yeah, I'll, I'll listen to it for the music, but. Um, <laughs> What is what do I listen to? So like I listen to a lot of the NPR podcasts, okay. um, like the news pod, news based podcast. I listen to a great podcast on Star Wars called Star Wars Seven by Seven. Oh, it's a daily seven minute podcast about Star Wars. It's um, a daily dang. Yeah, he does it every day. He's it's impressive. Dedication. Um, I listen to the Punk News podcast. Okay. Um, some of it I agree with. Some of it I just listen to to like get some new music recommendations. Mm-hmm. Those are. Grown ups read things they wrote as kids is funny. <laughs> Grown up. Grown ups read things they wrote as kids. Read things they wrote as kids. I like that. Yeah, that one's hilarious. And then I, I listen to some business related podcasts just so I can keep up with conversations with my students because otherwise I would have no idea. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. That you do that for them. And I've met so many of your students because I do the map talks. It's great. Yeah. Um, I think I have one tomorrow. Um, I think. Probably. Yeah, I'll figure it out. Yeah. Uh, favorite book all time, even current, what are you reading? Um, a book that I read every year is called Salad Days. Oh, yeah. I think I know that one. Yeah. So it's about um, a guy who was in a hardcore band in the 80s, mm-hmm. and the writing kind of leaves <laughs> a lot to be desired. Not okay. the best written book, but it tells a good story, yeah. and I relate to it a lot, so mm-hmm. I read it like at least once a year. Nice. What are you reading right now? Anything? Um, I was reading Americana. I got distracted from it and haven't gone back to it yet. Um, I actually just went through a lot of my books yesterday to do, like, some reorganization in my house, um, and found some books that I want to read. I really like Greg Graffin's, Greg Gaffin, why can't I say his name? The Lead Singer of Bad Religion. Yeah. His books, he wrote some books on, like, biology and, like, population things. And yeah, because he's, like, legit, like, professor, right? Yeah, has a PhD in biology. So That's ridiculous. I plan on reading, starting his book, um, and then I, I read a lot of, like, nonfiction history books, because, like, I'm a nerd. Okay. What about movie? Favorite movie, current, all, all-time? Favorite movie, all-time, definitely V for Vendetta. Okay. Um, we I just wa- had the uh, 5th of November. Watch it every year on the 5th, no matter what day that falls on so sometimes yeah. i'm watching it super late at night on like a tuesday <laughs> um current i mean i really really liked uh star wars the force awakens and i'm okay. super excited for the new star wars coming out nice nice i have a uh i have a kylo ren pop figure if you want it i can't embrace the dark side though <laughs> <laughs> Or I have a Blu-ray copy of that movie if you want. <laughs> Why do you have the Blu-ray copy of The Force Awakens in here? Because we got them as a giveaway, 
And the person who, like, won it was like, just give it away to someone else. And I was just like, <laughs> then why did you enter this? Right, yeah. <laughs> I'm so confused. Like, I sent back an email. I was like, I'm very confused right now. But okay, and they never responded again. Hmm. It's like, all right. Well, maybe if you're trying to get rid of that pop figure, I can bring it to um, my wife. She has pop figures at work, too. Oh, good. So maybe she'll embrace the dark side. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're always positive. Right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's close out with music. All right. Favorite bands, uh, all time and current. All time. Maybe even album if you want to squeeze it in there. Okay. So at all costs, which was Hostage Come before Hostage Come, I think is like totally, they're like a a youth crew hardcore band with horns. I, like I said, my tattoo is of their lyrics. So that is straight edge hardcore youth crew with horns. Like it hits all my, all my favorite things about bands. The Flaming Tsunamis is also up there. Um, They were really great. Skycore. Uh, currently, I mean, a, a band that's currently playing that I listen to a lot is The World is a Beautiful Place, I'm No Longer Afraid to Die. Mm-hmm. Not super into any other emo, but, like, I really dig what they do. Yeah. So, that, that would be current, but all time would be, gotta go back to my Scott Corps. Yeah. And Youth Crew Hardcore. That's great. Awesome. Well, I mean, I also love The World Is. I'm not as well-versed in Hostage Calmer uh, at all costs, but, um, for, whoop. Thanks, Siri. Go away. Uh, but I love your enthusiasm for them and for always telling me uh, to check them out. And I, I've kept up with the last two or three Hostage Calm albums before the, and then they like yeah. ended. And I've always loved how badass they are with their activism. Yeah. Especially the one show that's just like, I support... Yeah, same-sex same sex marriage, marriage yeah. Whatever, just, like, on the back, just amazing. Yep. And that came out when that was all, like, on, um, like, people were voting on it and stuff yeah. like that in New York and things, so. Which is perfect timing. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was great. It was great timing. So. Well, Ben, thank you so much for spending some time with me. Yeah. It was, it was fun. I loved this, Craig, and I'm, it was honor. <laughs> I, it was an honor to be on your podcast. Oh, I appreciate that, because it's always, it's always rare when I can have the, like, sit-down. Yeah. So I think you're only like the fourth or fifth sit down. Katie actually had one of the sit downs. Yeah. Um, otherwise, it's over the digital stuff. So it's nice to actually like be across from a person and not having to like read questions and stuff. And I can just kind of spitball it off the head. Yeah. <laughs> it's more fun that way. Yes. All right. There you have it. We did it. Another episode done. I'm pretty. I'm pretty stoked at that. Made another. Another podcast episode. I'm kind of surprised. It's been, oh, a few months now since I started this and did not think that I'd actually keep it up. But here we are. Uh, Next week, you're going to hear a conversation that Katie Ham has with someone. Uh, It's Katie Ham's turn to do do an episode. Uh, And... Because I'm doing every th- uh, three episodes and Katie's doing one. That's kind of the where the 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 alter alternation where alteration al- alternation. Am I coming up with a word? Al al alternates. That's how we're alternating. Yeah, I'm keeping this in. I'm trying to figure out words. That's how we're alternating. Alternation. I was an English major. Uh, remind you. Uh, but yeah, if you've made it this far, I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Ben McNamee, one of my favorite human beings to work with, to exist with, and just to see every day. It's it's great to have colleagues that work really hard and love what they do and love the students that they support and are in the field doing the work 
and um, um, making the world and education a better place. Very thankful for my friendship with Ben and for him taking some time out of his very busy day and very busy life to chat with me in my office. And I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Again, if you like the music you heard during this episode, go to pendejomusic.bandcamp.com and check out the new tunes uh, from the uh, the new album, Tio. Uh, also, if you want to learn more or support uh, the artist, Art of Survival, go to artissurvival.com. You can check out all the stories that we do. You can check out all the resources that we have. And if you're a band in uh, explicitly the New England area and you want us to table at your event, just let us know. Send us a line. We'll help you out. And yeah, that's really all I got. Uh, Give me a follow at Craig Bidman, C-R-I-G-B-I-D-I-D-M-A-N, or follow the podcast at EduPunks pod you can also follow ben on twitter at ben to boston that is his twitter ben the number two boston on twitter so you can follow and keep up with what he does in life and in the world of education and that's all we got until next time let's get to work Why?